Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. I'm Dan Rusinowski. It's time for another episode of Where Are They Now? We had a special conversation with the head coach of the University of Wisconsin Badgers, Sharks alumnus Tony Granato, all about his hockey journey that saw him spend five years in a San Jose uniform. Tony and his entire family grew up deeply embedded in hockey culture. Born and raised in Downers Grove, Illinois, his early NHL-related memories were spent at Chicago Stadium, watching some of the sport's all-time greats play for the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I was lucky growing up in Chicago because, uh, you know, we had Stan Makita, Bobby Hall, Tony Esposito, Pitt Martin, Cliff Coral. I could go, I could name you the whole team by numbers and where their, what their birthdays were and where they were from and all that stuff. I was hooked on hockey. Uh, at a very young age, my parents uh, were uh, fortunate enough to have season tickets, or I was fortunate enough to be able to go to quite a few games as a youngster. And uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, <laughs> I guess the, the the game was what I was. Me and my family were all about. That was it. Every day it was all about hockey. So I, I was lucky. So those were my guys. Uh, then as I got older, uh, in my early teens, Dougie Wilson came into town and. Uh, I was fortunate enough to become a friend with Doug and be able to skate with Doug uh, prior to going to college while I was still in high school. And uh, uh, he was uh, obviously a a, uh, superstar and a big, big sports figure in Chicago. And and I got to watch him in the prime of his career, which was really exciting. There were other big influences, including the legendary 1980 U.S. Olympic team that won the gold medal in Lake Placid, New York. Tony talked about the impact that players like Mark Johnson, Jim Craig, and Mike Eruzioni had on him. Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. So uh, we watched the, the Russian game on the floor of my parents' bedroom because that was the biggest TV in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, the USA chants that I could hear and still hear in the back of my mind um, was what I heard every time I stepped onto the arena there. Uh, I, you know, like I said, I practiced and played in the Olympic arena. So, so the the, the, the chance for a, a 16-year-old kid to watch the Olympics uh, on TV to kind of, um, you know, in, be inspired by uh, a bunch of American kids uh, to, to, was, was really, I guess, probably as big of a um, motivating force for me and inspiration in my development and in my career because – you know, that's what I wanted to do that. I wanted to see how I could become a, a player that would have a chance to play in an Olympics. I wanted to be a proud American like our 20 guys that won the Olympics were. And uh, so that was a great motivating factor. And those guys became my heroes and, and really were the guys that kind of opened up the door for lots of us after that followed, uh, you know, through college and through the Olympic path. That team opened the door for all of us. In that exciting atmosphere, more and more top U.S. athletes decided to take up hockey, and Tony was soon playing for several teams. 
In an effort to consolidate his focus to prepare for college, he chose prep school hockey and the Northwood School as his next step. It just so happens that Northwood is located right in Lake Placid. Yeah, I went to Downers Grove North High School. Uh, you know, at that time, my uh, junior year in high school, I was playing high school, I was playing midgets, and I was playing juniors. So, again, just again to play a lot of hockey, to play against the best competition I could. Um, I played on three different teams. Unfortunately, those schedules weren't really helpful in the, from the education side of things because my junior schedule, our practices, you know, were at 10 o'clock at night. Um, you know, I had to travel with all of those teams to go play games on the weekend. And the, the you know, education for me um, kind of took a back burner to hockey. And uh, I needed a place that could kind of uh, allow me to get uh, focused on school, on the importance of it, and put a schedule in place where where I could uh, take both of them seriously, get ready for college. Northwood was a great place. We played 35 games a year, probably played in the uh, U.S. Olympic building in Lake Placid there that the American team won the gold medal in 1980 Lake Placid Arena. So uh, that was uh, a great place to play prep school. And it helped me, uh, like I said, balance the education and, and the athletics together. And, and it helped me be ready for college. After two seasons at Northwood, Tony was recruited by a lot of college hockey programs, but he decided to choose to attend the University of Wisconsin. It was a perfect fit for him. Madison's only two hours from my parents in Chicago. Uh, I had seen some games at the Dane County Coliseum um, when I'd come up and play different tournaments in Madison uh, as a youth player. Uh, so Wisconsin was always a place that uh, I wanted to go to. You know, they had the screaming fans and the band and the cheerleaders and all that stuff. And, and then they also had Mark Johnson and lots of other and you know players that I admired that. Uh, would be, uh, uh, you know, guys that, you know, said, wow, would I like to be there someday and have a chance to, to be the next Mark Johnson or whatever. So so that was always the team that I had dreamed of playing uh, for. Um, but uh, Grant was the recruiter. Um, at the time, I actually, my junior year at prep school, Bob Johnson recruited me. Uh, he had me into his office on the recruiting trip, and, and uh he, he gave me a little pep talk and said, hey, Granado, I want you coming next year to play with Charlie Ocean Driver and Flatley. I want you on the power play. I want you right here in, in this spot on the power play and you're going to score a bunch of goals for us. And I remember telling Badger Bob, I said, hey, coach, I said, I'm only a junior in high school. And uh, he said, hey, hey, don't worry about it, Tony. We'll get you to take a test this summer. You'll take a GED test and you'll, you'll, we'll graduate you and you'll come in next year. And I remember bringing that back to my guidance counselor at prep school saying, hey, they want me to come in next year. And I wouldn't have been able to graduate. And uh, um, at that point, is that's the year Badger Bob left to go coach Calgary anyway. So so I went back for another year at prep school, and then Coach Shower came in and recruited me the next year and and uh, was uh, played here 83 to 87 and had a, a tremendous uh, group of teammates to play with. We're, I'm sure we're going to talk about Gary Suter in this conversation, but Gary and I came in as freshmen together. I uh, had a ton of fun here at school, uh, and, and what, a, what a place to play. We had tremendous fans, and, and a big part of our community uh, was our hockey program. So great place to play. A sixth-round draft pick of the New York Rangers in 1982, Granado made the most of his opportunity by making the team out of camp and scoring 36 goals in his rookie season. For the longtime fan of the Blackhawks, it was a great opportunity to experience pro hockey on another original six roster.
Well, I was lucky. Um, I, I went in with Brian Leach. We were rookies together uh, in 88. Uh, we also had Mike Richter, Kevin Miller, Corey Nolan, Peter Laviolette, all from that Olympic team that were draft picks for the Rangers. So so I went into the organization with, with some buddies, so to speak. Um, but I also went in, the, the thing that I, I am lucky, you know, I was an undersized player. Uh, you know, I finished my college days probably at 170 pounds. And to play in the NHL at that time with the grueling schedule and, and the way the game used to be played, you know, that was, uh, you know, physically a, a, a barrier that I had to overcome. And I think to be able to do that, you know, a, a rookie year after four years of college and an Olympic year, it gave me the best chance to to be ready for that opportunity. So I went in as an older rookie. Yeah, I think I was 23 my first year in the league. And, you know, I, I don't think – uh, if I tried it at 21 or 22 or, or 20, that I would have had, uh, you know, the, the success or the opportunity to have a long career. So I was lucky to be able to do all of the stuff before that to be ready for it. But to play for the Rangers and to go in with Brian Leach and to play with Mike Richter there and Pete Laviolette and get a little bit of Kevin Miller, a little bit of Corey Mellon, uh, was, was really special because those are guys that I had that Olympic experience with. And, you know, Leachy run Rookie of the Year. We had a really outstanding, you know, especially first half of my first year there. We were on the top of the league. And, and uh, we had Marcel Dion and Guy Lafleur was, made his return to the NHL and was, was uh, not only our teammate, but also my line mate for, for lots of that year. So about that, you, you jump into the league and you get two Hall of Famers that are on your line and like Dion and Lafleur you know, for, for a young kid was, uh, was, you know, pretty, pretty darn special. So I was lucky and, and, uh, you know, enjoyed every second of it. From there, Tony was traded for the first time in his career. While he says that that's never easy to adjust to, it gave him an amazing opportunity to become the teammate of Wayne Gretzky in Los Angeles. Well, first of all, um, you know, that's part of the game. And then when you sign up and, and, you, and you become a pro player, you realize that, you know, some things are out of your control on, on where you're going to be and who you're going to play for and things like that. But, but you know, ultimately what it does and, and in my situation, you know, I, I, I looked at it as, okay, I got a team on the other end of it that really wants me bad. They, they traded a 70 goal scorer to get me and, and Thomas Sandstrom. So the other thing that went along with it for me, why I was so lucky is I got a chance to go play with Wayne Gretzky. And, you know, when you're a player and, and you have an opportunity to play with the greatest of them all, um, you know, that's why you play the game. You play the game for opportunities like that. So, so yeah, I love my time in New York. But I also respected the fact that, you know, uh, that the, the being dealt or traded is part of it. And if you look at it the positive way and you, you understand um, that the, that there's a lot of good that comes out of it, and then it's then it works out great. So I loved my experience, uh, you know, in New York. But to go to LA, like I said, and get a chance to play with Wayne for close to seven years, you know, I don't know how any player could, you know, think of anything better to be able to do in the game than to to be a teammate of his. So I watched this Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, you know, throughout the you know, the Kobe experience. And, and I look and admire Michael for, for what he did and, and think of how cool of a, of a uh, uh, documentary that was. Well, I lived it with, with, like I said, close to seven years with Wayne. And I can tell you that the, there is no person 
that had a bigger impact on, on me or our game or, this, you know, uh, or sport than what Wayne did. And if we could ever put a documentary together and, and, and learn what he had gone through and how he did it, uh, you would, you know, you would find a hero. And I know we all look at him, anyone that's in the game of hockey for, and respect him for, for what he did and, and, and who he is. But, but that would be a great show to put together. And hopefully someday we can all relive, you know, those glory days of what Wayne did in Edmonton and then the move to LA and what he did for our game on making it a, a sport that could be and work in, in California. And I mean, the San Jose Sharks are, we look back and say, why did the San Jose Sharks have success? Well, yeah, you got great fans out there and yeah, you got a great franchise, but if Wayne doesn't go to LA, you know, the ownership might not look elsewhere and, and uh, to be able to do what he did for our game is really, uh, really special. In his final season with LA, Granado suffered a serious brain injury in a game against the Hartford Whalers, and the initial prognosis was that he might not ever play again. But as he showed signs of a full recovery, he was contacted by Sharks GM Dean Lombardi, and that's where his great relationship with San Jose and their fans began. You know, the injury happened, like you said, in the game against Hartford. Uh, it, you know, when you're a hockey player and you're, uh, I guess, the mentality that I had was was never show your opponent that they wounded you. And like every other time when you get hit and hurt, you jump up and you go back to the bench and you never, you know, show that you're wounded or, or you've been affected by, you know, their physicality or whatever happened in the game. And this was a relatively innocent play. I collided with Jeff Brown and I went sliding into the boards and I, I smacked my head pretty good. And, and but like every other time, like I just said, I just jump up and try to shake it off. Now, you know, and then, you know, some things happened after that, that I, that I knew it wasn't just a regular headache or, 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 you know, slight concussion. And then, you know, I had the surgery that, that was needed to kind of fix the, the, the bleeding that was going on in there. And, and yeah, I, I, I had to make a, a decision. And, and, and my decision was that I didn't think I'd ever have a chance to play hockey again. Uh, you know, when you have brain surgery, you assume you're done. But but uh, af- after the procedure and after a couple months of some, some rehab and getting back into exercise and and some discussions with the doctor, the doctor brought my attention, you know, tone, uh, you know, normally I wouldn't probably consider telling you this, but with how you've healed up and with, uh, with the procedure we did, we think you're back to being in a position where you could reconsider, you know, playing again. So, so once that was brought to my attention, boy, oh boy, uh, <laughs> the excitement of having an opportunity to go back to, to something um, that you love to do so much uh, became realistic. I, I, I went into training. Um, I felt that my skills had, had, you know, stayed at a level that I thought I could still compete, you know, and, and be a, a successful player. And once I got past the point of, of, of getting the uh, comfort in that, that I could play to that level again, um, you know, I, I decided to go back. So, I, I I remember it well because Dean Lombardi, uh, you know, got a hold of me early when he heard that that I was a free agent and that wanted that I wanted to come back to play. Uh, he brought me on somewhat of a recruiting trip, similar to the Bob Johnson one, where he brought me in his office and told me what uh, what I would mean to the team and to the organization. And uh, I got really excited. And that was a San Jose Shark team that that had a horrendous year the year before. I think they were worst in the league. And they had some young players that were, were prospects that thought that 
it could be a team that needed some veteran leadership players, and Dean had a plan in place to, to rebuild uh, the organization uh, through some leadership and older, experienced players, and he asked me to be one of them. So I was really uh, honored to be one of those players. It was a phenomenal uh, five years of playing, six years of living, of, of being part of what I think was uh, the, the, the really foundation years of building uh, uh, lots of, you know, great teams. And, you know, once we were moved on, but I think that the foundation of what Dean did at that point was really what steered the direction in the, in the right way. And I was really proud to be part of it. Tony became the first shark to receive an individual award from the NHL when he was presented with the Bill Masterton trophy for perseverance and dedication to hockey after his 25 goal comeback season with the sharks in 1996-97. But then another challenge came the following year in St. Louis as he drove to the net looking for a rebound when teammate Doug Bodger fired the puck toward the Blues' net. i go to the net. You know, I, I don't remember if I got the puck back to the point or not. But, but you know, again, it was it was uh, an innocent play from the standpoint that a thousands and thousands of times as a, a player in the offensive zone, you puck goes back to the point your job is to find a way to get to the net front as a screen or rebound or whatever. And I remember beating my guy out of the corner thinking, okay, I'm going to get position, but now i got to turn and find the puck. And as soon as I went to turn, bam, it hit me right straight in the jaw, and, and yeah, it, it, it knocked me pretty good. But but uh, I get up, I get to the bench, and I go in the locker room, and, and uh, my my jaw's a mess. I knew it, it, it shattered and, and whatever, so I knew I'd, I'd need a surgery and everything uh, to, to get fixed up. But but uh, we get on the plane, we flew back. My options were to stay in St. Louis, have surgery in St. Louis, spend the week there, and then, then get home. Or I could fly home with the team, do surgery in, in San Jose the next day. I obviously opted to go home uh, that way. But, you know, my wife and kids were back there. They could help me through it. The, the, the swelling that I got from the, from the uh, plane ride didn't allow me to have surgery for four or five more days. They had to sit in the hospital and wait for the swelling to get down before they could go in there. But... But uh, Daryl did come back on the plane. Uh, Daryl is, is a phenomenal family man. He, we, we know the Sutter story. They're growing up with six brothers and, and the competitiveness of those in the same household. We know about the mom and dad on the farmer mentality and all of that and the grit and the hard work and the intensity and the battle level that he played with and coached with. But he's got a big heart, and he's got a, a, a way of – of showing his love and, and support for his players uh, in times like that. So he did. He came back and sit with, sat with me and joked with me about some different things that he had gone through through the same type of experiences, fracturing his jaw and, and, and different things like that. And uh, we laughed a little bit. And, and uh, uh, but, but the other thing on, on Daryl is I watched Daryl with the Blackhawks as a player. Uh, he was one of those guys I admired because you talk about an undersized player that found a way to stick his nose in there and grind it out and battle and, and pay a price to score goals. He was the epitome of what that was as a hockey player. And I admired that so much uh, uh, watching him. It was kind of the fabric of what all the, of the Sutters were and how they all played, including Ronnie, who, who I was lucky enough to play with all those years in San Jose as well. But, but Daryl was that type of player as a coach. He was intense. Uh, we know his, his lines and his, you know, through his book on, on uh, his style. Um, it was different. It wasn't the, the funnest uh, every day to play for, 
Uh, there were times when I didn't see eye to eye with, with uh, his style, but I respected it because I knew how bad he wanted to win. I knew what kind of a, a team he wanted. I knew what uh, he felt was important for uh, the message uh, to be uh, uh, through our locker room on the intensity and, and, and the competitiveness that we needed to have to make that next step. And I think he, he had a tremendous impact on the Sharks organization and on what he was able to do in his years there in San Jose. Tony joined his teammates on the plane flight home after that serious injury. Sharks coach Daryl Sutter spent much of the flight at his side. It was a sure sign that the Sharks head coach truly cared about his players. Absolutely. There, there's no doubt. Um, you know, the bottom line as a coach, um, you know, you have to have players that want to play for you because you bring something to the program or to the team or to them individually that either makes them better, gives them an opportunity. And, you know, they have, you have to believe in the coach, uh, you know, and again, there are times that Daryl and I didn't see eye to eye at all. I mean, there are times that, that, you know, um, you know, I was wondering what, what his thinking was, uh, but I respected his work ethic. I respected uh, you know, his competitiveness. I know he wanted to win more than anybody that I've ever been around. Um, and I, and I, and when you, when you sit back and you look at the plan that he put in place and why he did it that way, you know, there was a reason for it. And, but like you said, it was also the, the human side to it and the family side to it. You saw how, how wonderful of a dad he was. You saw, um, some special moments away from the game of, of what he was like as a person. But when he was in between the locker rooms or on the bench, that intensity and that mentality of, of the, the, the hockey part of it was a, a different uh, personality uh, than he was, uh, like I said, away from the rink. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I respect him. I'm a, I, I, I would go give him a huge hug right now. Um, like I said, we didn't see eye to eye all the time as player coach, but once we were done playing together, every time I saw him, I'd go give him a hug and go out of my way to go say hello to him because I did learn a lot from him, and, uh, and I loved the experience of, of having a chance to play for him. In the spring of 1999, the Sharks were practicing in suburban Denver when the tragic shootings at Columbine High School took place. Granado and several of his teammates visited the memorial. We all had kids at that time. Uh, we were there. We heard the sirens. Um, you know, our playoff series got delayed because of it. Um, you know, and as an older player, you know, I don't know, the stuff away from the game kind of, you know, especially having a family, it, it you know, affects you in, in, a, in a way like it affected everybody in a way. It was a, that was a, a tragic uh, happening. And, and we were in the city as it happened. So there, we, were, we were connected to it. Um, so then you follow the stories in the paper about about the, the victims, about the families, uh, about uh, you know the neighborhood, the high school, the community, and you feel kind of you know part of it. And and you know a few of us when we were in town, we snuck over there just to kind of pay our respects to it and to the victims and and the families. And and uh, yeah, that was a, a really emotional you know uh, you know thing to go through. And and then you had to go play hockey. Um, and, and, and again, not just play hockey, but play, play, play a pretty darn good team in, in Colorado. So, so I do remember it well. And, and, uh, then I had gone back to coach Colorado years after that. And I, uh, you know, became connected to some of the people that were affected by 
by the Columbine shootings, and, and it became even more real, you know, through my experience there as, as being part of that community for seven years. It was in Denver that Tony began his coaching career on Bob Hartley's staff. He found himself thrust into the head coaching role midway through that season. Yeah, it was definitely doing it sooner than I expected from the standpoint that, you know, I'd been on the an NHL bench for just a few months uh, before the coaching change and, and Bob Hartley getting removed from his position and me being asked to replace him. Um, and, and was it too early? Or was that the best way to go into a coaching experience? That's a good, that's a great question. Um, I was grateful for the opportunity at the, at the time I was wondering the same thing, you know, that you kind of just mentioned is, you know, am I the right guy for, for this situation? And, uh, you know, I, Pierre Lacroix, uh, who was our general manager, you know, brought me into a room after he fired Bob and told me the reasons why, and it made sense. Uh, you know, I didn't have experience, that's for sure. Um, I didn't know what it was like to run an NHL team as a head coach. But, but what I did have was the ability to, to relate to the players uh, in, a, in a way that, that wasn't getting through by, by the previous coach. So, so, you know, what you do then is you go with your instincts. Your instincts are to the, the part we talked about earlier is, is for, for Peter Forsberg, for Patrick Waugh, for Rob Blake, for Milan Hayduk, for Alex Tangay, for Joe Sackick to be their best. They got to know that their coach has their back and has the best interest of, of them, you know, in, in the game plan and, and, and uh, um, you know, as a coach. So, so that was what I, what I fell back on was the fact that my relationships with those guys, uh, my, my time as a player on what I remembered that the players need from a coach to, to play their best. Peter Forsberg went on and had an MVP year. Alon Hayduke went out and had a 50-goal year. Alex Tangay was on that line, had his best year as a player. Uh, you know, Joe had gone through some injury problems uh, that year, so we missed him for part of the year. Patrick Watt was his last year in net. He had a sensational run at the end to help us come from behind from a 12-point deficit from Vancouver to win our ninth straight division title. So there were a lot of positives in, in being able to kind of have to learn kind of on the job as you go. Jack Pucci and I, we coached that team together for the first probably two months by ourselves. And, and when you think about the way today's teams are run with, with six or seven coaches and specialists and player development guys and all this other things helping a team, you know, operate, the, the two of us did it. Uh, uh, before we hired Rick Tockett, probably not until I would guess probably early February. And this, we began coaches in, in mid-December. So, so it was a tremendous experience. Uh, we came up a little bit short. We lost in the first round of the playoffs in a seven-game series uh, to Minnesota. We lost three games in overtime. Um, but our team, you know, accomplished uh, the ninth division title. And, uh, you know, we lost, you know, similar to what we did as the San Jose Sharks versus St. Louis and similar to what we did as the LA Kings versus Calgary. The, 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 the difference in hockey isn't a lot. You know, you look at a season and teams finish 20 points above, above the other team in an 82 game season, seems like miles between them, but there's not a lot of difference. That's only, you know, six or seven more wins than the other team maybe. And in an 80 game season. And if you, if you break it down into a smaller series, you realize you have a chance and you go to three games into overtime and you make a play and you, and you get a call or a break in one of those games. And that's the difference in the series. And, 
And uh, so we lost that year in the playoffs. It was disappointing, but it was a tremendous experience for me to kick off, you know, not only being a coach, but having a chance to coach Hall of Fame players and competitors and players of that stature at that time was really a tremendous learning experience for me as well. Granado has played with and coached some of the greatest players to ever lace on skates. I asked him about the qualities that sets the superstars apart. There's something special that, that the superstars have from within that, that is, separates them from the rest. The, the Gretzky thing of, of what I learned from watching Wayne, the, the passion uh, is one that's different than just everybody else that loves hockey. I mean, there's a burning desire in his everyday uh, living that, that when he gets to the rink and is in uh, uniform and, and, and has a stick in his hand, the, the passion and the drive from within to, to, to be his best at all times is something that I find unique in the superstars. Uh, the work ethic part, sometimes behind-the-scenes work ethic part, uh, the Sidney Crosby thing, for example, every single day in practice when I was there as an assistant coach, uh, he would grab me at the end of practice and we'd find a hard drill for him to do to work on something that he hadn't perfected yet. And, and I mean, that was every day and that was every day watching something and learning from something. So they're all learners. They all want to learn what somebody else doing that it might make me better. Uh, what can somebody else do that if I learned that skill would help me maybe in a game that uh, uh, put another tool in the toolbox that I don't have right now. Uh, I think that's what, you know, Pavel Datsuk was like that. They had that same mentality. So, so, so the super superstars have something special within the drive that you saw from Michael Jordan, uh, the ability to make teammates better around them. I think that's the quality. And they don't always do it the same way. Wayne Gretzky didn't do it the same way as, as uh, Air, Air Jordan did. Uh, he did it in a way different way. But, but when I was on the ice with Wayne Gretzky, and I had that opportunity for all he did for me, I was going through the wall for that guy. And I was going to do everything I could to make him proud. And and that's, you know, his uniqueness of, of being a superstar and drawing out the best in others around him that, that I thought was special. So that's another thing that, that those guys have as well. Check out a Big Ten hockey game these days, and you'll find Tony Granato standing behind the bench for the University of Wisconsin. I'm Dan Rusinowski. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode of Where Are They Now?